This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing? How are you all feeling? It's almost the end of the year, and the craziness and the busyness of the holidays is very much palpable. You know, I live in LA and it's been 90 degrees every day for the last couple of weeks. So it doesn't quite feel like Christmas. It feels more like spring. However, you know, going to Starbucks and going shopping and seeing all the Christmas decorations for sale, you know, you, you definitely get the sense, okay, Christmas is coming. It's, it feels like it's around the corner. Um, you know, and, and again, I know that's part of the marketing, right? That's part of getting us all to go and go out and buy stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, being from Southern California, that's the only way we really know it's Christmas <laughs> because it's so hot. And I mean, of course, I love it, but I know that it's, it's hard to get into that, that winter mode uh, when it's 90 degrees outside. But regardless of what the situation is for you, I definitely encourage you to to establish a, a routine or new new habits or even traditions that help you embody the sense of another year coming to a closure. For me, this this tends to involve a lot of meditation, a lot of journaling, a lot of practices that, that help me tap in and go within and to revisit some of the goals and the accomplishments that I've achieved throughout the year. And the ones that still need to be worked, loved for the next year. Here in the podcast, I'm going to be releasing episodes in the next um, several weeks that have to do with just different ways that people heal. I'm going to be interviewing folks from all walks of life that have just so much wisdom to share and so generously share this uh, with with you all. Um, some of these folks are writers, you know, just and they share how the writing process helped them heal some of their past wounding. Some of these people are mental health therapists and they share what help them heal from their own difficulties, their own wounding and trauma. So there's going to be a lot of very juicy episodes coming up, a lot of episodes that not only provide information, but give you strategies and tips for personal transformation, which is the key, right? Because the information's out there, we can just look it up. But when we listen to information from someone that is genuinely uh, interested in helping you heal, from someone that has the wisdom and the life experience, there the information resonates in a different way. And it's not just information that you're listening to, is transformation, which is the key. And now I want to give a brief introduction to this week's episode. So in this episode, you're going to hear from my colleague, Christina Marderoshan. She is a licensed mental health therapist and specializes in the treatment of complex trauma and dissociative disorders. She is the founder and director of Pasadena Trauma Therapy Incorporated. And in this episode, Christina generously shares her wisdom of healing from trauma. She gives examples and information on dissociative identity disorder, and she shares theoretical perspectives such as internal family systems and parts work and somatic therapy. Christina shares her journey on finding her calling and how and why she became a trauma therapist. I do want to add a trigger warning that in this episode, we talk about childhood trauma, sexual abuse, and suicidal ideation, which are topics that could be triggering for some people. I also want to give a brief disclaimer. 
that this podcast episode does not treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for health care or mental health services of any kind. Guests have a right to share their opinion and perspective, and this does not constitute an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Without further ado, take a listen. Hi, Christina. Welcome. Hi, Rosa. Welcome Thank to you. this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Thanks. And uh, thanks for agreeing to do this interview. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so to get started, can you share with our listeners a little bit about where you're from and what's your area of specialization? Sure. So um, I'm a trauma specialist in the city of Pasadena, California. I'm the founder and director of Pasadena Trauma Therapy, and we're a small group practice of about uh, six clinicians, and we work predominantly with sexual abuse survivors and dissociative disorders, but but anything on the trauma spectrum. And um, in addition to seeing clients, I uh, I love doing consultation groups for dissociative disorders and complex trauma. I also do one-on-one consultations for therapists and workshops on on the same topics. Wonderful. Thank you. And so, you know, this podcast, the title of it is Inner Healing Paths. Just Mm -hmm. believe that that healing comes from many different paths. It's not just one, of course. So from from your perspective as a therapist, as a trauma-focused therapist, how does healing happen? Just in your experience, how how would you describe healing happening from from your line of work? Sure. So with the clientele that I see, um, I think healing is so subjective, uh, right? Everybody comes in with different goals and what they're wanting to work on. Um, but particularly for my trauma clients, I feel like when they can feel like the past is in the past, right? To me, that's a good sign. When, when I see that they're managing their triggers and not getting totally sucked back into the past, but they could recognize, oh, you know, here's an old response and they can manage it, right? To me, that that tells me that their window of tolerance has expanded tremendously. Um, Another healing, I think, particularly with my sexual abuse survivor clients is when they can feel like their body is now a safe place again, right? To me, that's a really huge sign of healing. And most importantly, I mean, I can talk about this all day, but most importantly, I think that when uh, the younger parts of the self are witnessed and are no longer carrying the trauma and don't need to cope in old ways like they used to cope to survive, um, they're unburdened. And when they're unburdened, I feel like that's when healing takes place. Yeah. Wonderful. And, you know, going back to the, when the past is in the past and, 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 and that is ultimately the goal, I believe, you know, when we go through um, a tra- uh, just a very traumatic event um, and we're working through it, um, how would you describe that? You know, how would someone know, okay, this, this situation, the past um, it has been, you know, is, is there, I, I could see it. Um, but it's not in my here and now. How would you describe it? Just for those that are maybe not familiar with, you know, trauma work or considering getting started, what does that look like? And when the past is finally in the past, what does what does that look like for clients? Yeah, no, that's a good question, and I think you know that's subjective as well. Um, but I hear a lot of different ways from clients that they've explained that they feel that way. Um, let's say they have an anxiety attack right? Um, And they're able to recognize, you know what, this is a younger part of me. um, And I don't have to react in the same way anymore. And there's distance from it. Right? They're able to say, okay, this belongs to the past. Um, I have a lot of uh, sexual abuse survivor clients who um, they'll say to me, you know, I don't panic anymore. When I'm being intimate or having sex with my with my partner, I feel like I can now put the rape or the sexual assault or the sexual molestation in the past, 
and it's not here in the present with, moment with me anymore, right? And so it's really being able to say, yes, this horrible thing happened, right? But it's not leaking in my everyday life in the same way I can manage it. It's almost like they can put it in, in, a, in a way that, that makes sense, like it happened, it's in the story of my life, but it's not affecting my, like you said, my relationship now, it's, it's, it's integrated in what has been your your story yeah and that's 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 um that's huge for a lot of patients and sometimes i i believe that sometimes they don't even realize how how uh, especially those that are that have not started their journey and in, in healing their trauma they may not realize how much their trauma is impacting their their everyday life right and so for those that that perhaps you know have not um haven't started the realization or the awareness of that what are some of your thoughts on how with the awareness that yes i know i had trauma but it doesn't really come up or at least i don't know how it comes up what are some of your thoughts on that how would you guide someone that's just getting started in in this journey i think that's such a great question rosa that you're asking because i i've met as i'm sure you have as well so many people who don't view a trauma as a trauma um an example of that is somebody who comes in and they don't have you know overt sexual abuse or physical abuse but they were not attuned to right and and don't totally see that that is a form of a trauma right? Not being seen or heard. And that's just a chronic thing in their life. Um, but to answer your question about, you know, um, what are some ways that the trauma com can come out, even if maybe you're not aware of it, is, uh, I call it symptoms, right? Symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of depression, irritability, anger. And I also see it a lot in nonverbal ways. So things like somatic reactions and what i mean by that is what comes up in the body that that's already been medically ruled out so for example someone with um severe stomach issues constipation diarrhea i see a lot of that kind of stuff how the body is trying to either hold right or or release in some way uh headaches migraines um body pain right? These are all forms of how the body is telling us, it's trying to communicate to us that something is off. You got to pay attention. Um, and then of course, our thoughts, like people who have a lot of ruminating thoughts. Um, I, I think, uh, or flashbacks, right? Of things from the past that creep up for them, but they, they, they maybe work really hard to shove those away and not think about them, right? So these are all ways that trauma can leak, um, and dissociation. You know, I have a lot of clients who they'll tell me, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but you know, but my adult life is great. And, um, what I say to that is, you know, that amnesia ironically is a form of a memory, right? There's a reason why you don't remember your life. And so it's, it's your brain trying to protect you from who knows what. And, and, and that's like, I mean, we, we, that's, I mean, we need that. It's a good thing. However, you know, like you said, sometimes it starts getting in the way of your everyday life. And that's when we really have to take a look, right. And, and see what, what is my body trying to tell me through these different symptoms. Uh, and, you know, for, you mentioned the, the, the younger parts. Mm -hmm. So can you share a little bit more about how, you know, these younger parts, come up and how, how, you know, how, how do you see it from, you know, from your work as, as a therapist, how do you approach these younger parts? Yeah. So um, just for a little context, I, I do what's called parts work. Uh, it, there's a theory in the world of psychology, right? Um, called internal family systems theory. And um, it looks at the theory of multiplicity on a spectrum. And what I mean by that is that uh, we all have parts. So for example, right now, you know, Rosa, you're, you're talking to Christina, the therapist part. Hopefully I'm coming off professional and knowledgeable. But if you were to see me with my one-year-old uh, one niece, 
right? This Christina's gone. She's on the floor. She's playing. She's talking like a little kid. Um, and that's a different part of me, a more playful kid-like part of me, right? And we all have this. Who we show up with people in our lives could, could feel and uh, look different. And so when it comes to trauma, the way we applied this parts perspective to trauma is that parts of ourselves are, are stuck at a younger age uh, where we were traumatized, right? And so I have uh, clients and most of my clients are all adult clients who come and they acknowledge like the adult part of me, you know, knows what happened and is trying to move on with life. But when they have triggers of uh, aspects of their trauma, the part of them that went through the trauma is the one that's getting activated, right? And that's the work that we need to do is address the parts who are stuck there, right? And so in the IFS model, I love it because it, it categorizes parts in three different categories. Is it okay to explain? that okay so exile parts are the parts that carry the trauma memories and they're the parts of us that tend to get really shoved away because it's painful right to to look at aspects of ourselves that carry pain the other category of parts uh ifs refers to as managers managers are the parts of us that maybe are workaholics perfectionistic um, caretaking roles, right? And, and they are a form of protection. They protect us from dealing with those exile parts, right? And then the third category is the most extreme form of protection, right? Which are the firefighter parts. So firefighter parts are the parts that maybe they, they, they do self-harm, right? Maybe they cut, maybe they use drugs and alcohol to cope, but it's the most uh, highest level of protection. And, and the reason I love this way of working from a parts perspective is because there's compassion when we look at even behaviors that maybe society looks at as, you know, bad or maladaptive, right? In this context, we're reframing someone's addiction, right? As a form of protection and a part that's trying to just survive in the best way that they know how. So I, I truly love this lens in working with trauma. No, thank you for, for sharing that. That's, that was a great way of explaining these different parts. And, you know, I feel that with the internal family systems model, that it is very non-pathologizing, is, is very much, um, it, it, you know, but essentially, you know, for those that are not familiar with this, essentially, it, it just sees that we all have different parts, you know, and, and so we may, have, you know, for some of our clients, they may have a suicidal part, but it's just a part. You know, it's just a part of them and they have so much else. And so I, I love that approach because it, it, it's very strength based, right? It, totally. It doesn't focus. It doesn't, it doesn't focus on, well, you're suicidal and let's, let's fix that. You know, let's lower, yeah. your, you know, your suicidal ideation and, or your self injuries. You know, it just, it just focuses on, well, there's this part, but that you have also all these other parts and that's the truth. Right. And we all, and we see that in, in our everyday life, right? Everybody, whether we've experienced, you know, big trauma or whether we have some wounding, we all have these different parts that totally, happen. yeah. So when it comes to the, you know, the 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 younger parts, you know, and and a lot of my work, um, you know, I, I I talk a lot about inner child, and you know, it's more of a mainstream way of looking at these parts. Uh, people tend to understand better with that, you know, that inner child concept, but from these younger parts, the way you conceptualize it, the way you see it in therapy, um, how would you say they, you know, when you're in session with a, with a, with a client, how would you, um, how do you help them connect with their part, you know, with yeah. their younger, younger parts or their inner child? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I can piggyback off of the example you just gave, because I thought it was great. The, the suicidal parts of somebody, right? Um, and viewing that as a form of a firefighter part that's just trying to protect the whole client to the best of their ability. And, and how I would potentially work with that is, you know, how old is this part of you feeling? So this part of you that wants to kill the body, 
right? How old is that part of you feeling? And let's say they say six, just hypothetically, right? But the adult's 40. Okay, so this six-year-old, right, is giving you a memory of how you learned to survive when you were six, right? Let's thank them for showing us how bad it was that, that at six years old, right, you found a way to, to fantasize about suicide and that helped you survive at that time, right? So we want to thank the part and acknowledge their role because there's validity there of helping them survive at that age with whatever horrendous chaotic environment they were living in, but also helping them unburden from that way of survival today, right? I would look at it as what are they trying to communicate? So if they're bringing up an old way of coping, why now? What's going on in your life that they're needing to remind you of like, hey, this is a coping mechanism, right? And coming at it from that place. So anyone that's talking about, maybe it's not a suicidal part, maybe it's a very panicked part of them. I would do the same thing of how old is this panic part of you feeling, right? Because as adults, we don't just become panicked. We don't just become suicidal. That started somewhere, right? So we got to tap into, well, when does this start for you? Absolutely. And, you know, for our listeners out there, they're um, they're perhaps have a history with this, just want to caution that this is done in in the therapeutic setting, right? This is not something that you're, that you should be doing or on your own. This is guided and with the support of a licensed uh, mental health expert like Christina. And and so that it's really, really important to emphasize that part because these parts, especially the firefighter parts, these are heavy, heavy uh, parts to connect with. And when they come up, in therapy, it's an opportunity to heal, right? But um, so just want to, you know, just clarify that this is something that should be done with therapy. And it just kind of goes back to why we're having this conversation and bring awareness that um, the importance of connecting with your with your inner child, yes, but also with the support and, and you know, th- having that guidance from, from someone, totally. from a therapist, yeah. So let's go back to what you were mentioning with um, the body and how the, the just the body is intertwined with all of this, right? The, in, in how it's very much embedded. And for a lot of uh, folks, I found that it is hard to, to conceptualize the, the idea that the trauma is in the body because we hear that buzzword a lot. And I feel like it's, you know, especially with this Instagram culture, you know, there's all these memes or, you know, people post these, these captions, traumas in the body. And, but, um, you know, you're, you're an expert with the, in, in this regard. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what that means? When, when, when a therapist or as therapist, when we say your trauma story in the body, what does that really mean in, in simple terms? Totally. No, that's a great question. And I'm, and I'm really appreciative that you're asking that question. Cause I, I also see what you're talking about and, um, clarification would be great. So trauma, when they say trauma is in the body, it's important to recognize that trauma happened to the body. So it's not just a logical cognitive process, right? That left brain stuff. We have to also connect to how it shows up somatically. So if you think of a little kid who is being berated, right? Like scolded by their parent, right? The kid might start to go inward, right? Shoulders hunched. They might put their head down. They may not want to maintain eye contact because in that moment, the parent who's scolding them, it appears very scary, right? And so that motion of going inward, head down, shoulders in, right? Gets stored somatically. So when they grow older, unless it's resolved, if a boss yells at them, they may react in a similar way. That little part of them might all of a sudden get scared and just like, okay, I'm just going to keep the peace and I'm going to walk away, right? Head down and just try to stay safe, right? That That's a survival mechanism. And so uh, that's what I mean by uh, trauma gets stored in the body is how we learn to respond becomes automatic 
in our body and somatic therapy. The, the beauty of somatic therapy is like, you know, sensory motor psychotherapy or trim or somatic experiencing, right? It gives the client the opportunity to do what they couldn't do back in the trauma now in the present moment. So actually just earlier today, uh, I met with somebody who had a very, very scary, volatile, emotionally abusive father. And, and that is how she survived, right? Just going inward, clenching inward. And when we worked with that um, body's reaction, she realized by, by having mindful noticing of how it's showing up now in 2021, that she still responds this way when someone gets angry with her. And so what she wanted to do in the original trauma that she didn't get to do is push her dad away, right? So that's exactly what we did. We worked with the motion of wanting to push away so that whatever is trapped in the body, instead of going inward, it can now be released, right? And so that was a long-winded answer, but I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, that was great. And, and thank you for that example, because I, I just think, you know, it helps to, to make sense of, of the, the more theoretical part, you know, it helps to, to have an, uh, an example like that. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, shifting gears a bit, you know, how did you find your calling for this? How did you, how did you get started in this, in this journey as, as a trauma therapist? Yeah, good question. So um, I'll give you the personal and the not personal answer. Um, so the non-personal answer is um, I went to UCSB for my undergraduate uh, school and I joined a group called Students Stopping Rape. So one of my best friends growing up um, had a really bad rape when we were teens and I had no idea how to help. And so when I went to UCSB, I joined this group and I immediately knew that like, this is it. In that moment, I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna help trauma survivors. And then of course, then you go to grad school and grad school makes you wake up to your own stuff, <laughs> right? And they encourage your own personal psychotherapy, which I did. And it was so amazing to, to go through that process because yes, what happened to my friend influenced me joining this, uh, this group during college, but I grew up my, so my dad had MS and dementia and I, I grew up with a ton of medical trauma in my household, which made him unfortunately a very unavailable person. Um, and so I don't necessarily do great with medical trauma. Um, and that's good for me to know, right? We all have our limitations and I don't need to work with everybody, but give me the other spectrum. And I, I can do a really good job with that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, the, I think for, for a lot of us um, going into the trauma field, it's usually a, a, an event, a situation. And then the more we go with experience, the more we, you know, with either through our schooling, we realize that um, there's a lot of work that we all need to do and it becomes a journey, right? As we, we heal, we, you know, we're able to offer more, right? And so it is definitely a journey, at least the, the way I see it, you know, for my own difficulties, what I'm, you know, it is, it's a lifelong journey and, and it's just, it, I get better, but it's still a journey, right? Absolutely. The learning never stops. I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, and the, you know, as, as, especially as therapists, I feel that it's so, so critical to always be learning something. Um, I, I learned from one of my mentors that a, I think the way he said it is an uninformed therapist is a burned out therapist. Um, and I remember feeling at that point, I was feeling very burned out. And then I, I realized I, I need to brush up on my skills you know I need to, so I've noticed that every time I learn something new a new therapy approach whatever it is that I can offer I feel once again energized so I, I think and it's because you know I'm sure you experienced this Christina too the more um, like every time you do a training like EMDR for example right we actually work on our stuff oh totally <laughs> 
or at least we think about our stuff, yeah. right? our own issues. So, so I, I feel the more you explore this, you know, this path of, of helping others heal, the more you heal as well. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And I'm with you all those trainings, right. They make you do the experiential work in those trainings. So, which I think is the good thing, because we should be experiencing what we're going to be doing with our clients. Right. But yes, we definitely get the growth benefit too from, from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right now I'm, I'm learning havening. I'm going through yeah. that um, certification process and it's been so good for me you know I don't I don't know how I'm going to integrate it at this point with my clients but just on a personal level it's been so wonderful <laughs> so that's what I mean you know the more you learn it, it the, the more it helps you and as an individual and also you eventually you're able to share that right with with others absolutely yeah so thank you for sharing about your the way you you came across this this field um and so I wanted to go back because I know you 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 specialize in uh disassociation or mm -hmm. disorders so and there's a lot of misconception and that's an area that there's so many you know just a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions about this so just um in in simple terms so our folks that are getting started can understand um how would you describe disassociation, dissociative um, disorders, and how would you, um, yeah, just just give us a general overview, just so they, so our folks can can have a good understanding and, and get started. Yeah, and I appreciate you asking because there is a lot of misunderstanding around this, particularly DID. Um, uh, so much misdiagnosis and misunderstanding and mismedication. Um, but essentially, you know, I look at dissociation on the spectrum. We are all on there to some degree. So if you've ever driven home and you know the route so well, right, that you're listening to music, maybe you're on the phone, you're looking around, you're not paying full attention to what you're doing. And then you get home and you're like, how the heck did I get home so quickly, right? That is a very low form of dissociation. That's us being on autopilot, right? And so we all do that. We all do that. And then if you go further along the spectrum, right, DID or dissociative identity disorder is the other end of the spectrum, which is the most um, severe of dissociative disorders. But there's a ton of things in the middle, things like um, someone's amnesia is on the spectrum. I have clients who they'll say, you know, I don't remember what happened to me from like zero to five, but then they have perfect memory for for what happens thereafter. And then I have other people who say, I don't remember anything, right? From my childhood at all, right? So that puts them further on the dissociation spectrum, right? Then we have another dissociative disorder is depersonalization. That's also on the spectrum, right? Depersonalization means when you feel like you're not fully in your body, right? Um, I have clients who feel like they're numb or they feel like they're checked out. And then more, more extreme versions of that is particularly with my sexual abuse survivor clients, well, they'll say, you know, I feel like I'm up above looking down at what's happening to me down here, right? So like a bird's view eye, right? So again, all of these things are on a, on a continuum. And then the other form is uh, derealization, which essentially is feeling like the world around you feels very foggy, right? You don't know where you are at. And, and again, that can also be on a spectrum. But the most severe is DID. And DID usually has aspects of all of the above to the most extreme, right? And thank you for that explanation. And, and, and you know, and this is something that um, for those that are listening that are that feel that maybe they, they're, they, they can relate to what you described. This is a good entryway to to start exploring your 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 own healing, right? And see and connect with a therapist that can help you navigate this. Because I I see also you know a trend of people trying to self heal and do things on their own, and it's and it's so especially with these more severe forms of, of disassociation is really important to to have that guidance of someone that knows what they're doing and that can yes. help you navigate that because it could be very scary to to explore this on your own 
Yes, and and if I may add, healing is also very possible. I think people hear dissociation or or they'll hear DID, right? And they think of movies like Split or, you know, just yes, mm-hmm. things that have just made this yeah. not what it is, right? And so people have this fear around it. Um, but I, I, I just want to put it out there that healing is very possible. I, I've seen it. I do it with my clients all the time. And so th- there could be um, tremendous growth in these areas. I just want to instill hope for those who are listening and, and are worried about the word dissociation. It's a survival mechanism. And we all have it, right? It's just different. It's just a different levels. It's a spectrum. But yes, thank you for that. Because yes, the, uh, healing is possible. You can heal from this. You can recover and, and get your life back in a, in a way, right? And be able to, to move forward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for that, that reminder. And, you know, uh, going back to what you were saying, uh, you mentioned that sometimes patients or clients uh, come in and they say, I don't remember what happened, but yet they, they know something happened, right? Because they, they can't remember maybe the years from three to five or six, or maybe the entire childhood. So they know something came up because of course they know what kind of home they came from, but they don't know exactly what um, they're having anxiety and they have other symptoms. Uh, so how, for those, for those people that don't remember, can they still do trauma therapy? Because I feel like that's a big, also big misconception. You know, how would you, what would you, what would you say to that? You know, I don't remember, but yeah, can, can I still work on my trauma, even though I don't know if I have any trauma? Yes. The answer is yes. Um, the, the dissociation is a form of a memory. That's what I tell my clients is that any quote unquote symptom is a form of a memory. Anxiety is a form of a memory. Uh, you know, all of these things are a form of a memory. And, you know, I have certain clients, Rosa, that come in and they tell me, Christina, I want to tell you all of my details, all of my trauma details, because I was never heard, seen, believed, right? Fill in the blank. And of course, if, if that's what they want, that's what they want, I will make space. And then I have certain clients who come and they say, I never want to talk about the details of the trauma. And that's fine. No one should force you to talk about the details. And then some don't have details of the trauma, right? So with those clients, right, I I tend to work way more somatically, way more somatically, because even if they don't have the left brain narrative aspects of the trauma, the right side of the brain, which carries emotions, gestures, movement, sensations, all of that is leaking in some way, right? I don't need to know the narrative. But if I see that when I ask you about hypothetically your mom and you start shaking or you want to throw up, that's all I need to know, right? Because that is a form of a memory, right? Or every time you're around your, you know, grandparent, you feel queasy, right? Okay, so let's explore that, right? Your body is telling you "Mm, something is off when I'm around this person. It's a memory. Yeah, I, I, I like that. It, every, every, you know, it, that's the memory in it of itself. Because, and that's going back to what we were saying, that's your body, you know, give, storing the, the, the trauma and then giving you the, the memory of, of that. And, and through different ways, we just don't, we're not used to seeing it like that, right? We're, we're used to actually thinking of actual memories with details and all that as a memory. But yeah, thank you for, for that explanation. I think that's going to help a lot of folks have a better idea as to where they're at in their process, you know, um, how would you, um, you know, as a, uh, as a trauma therapist, I, I know I, I, I see this too, where, where patients just, they, they're very dysregulated and, but they're also very just like, they, they want the quick fix. They just want to get in there. They just want to do the EMDR, the brain, what, you know, whatever technique, just like fix me, you know, and, and they want that quick fix and, you know, they, maybe they're, they're quite not ready to go. How would you, what would you say to, you know, those patients that are not at that point where they're, um, they may not be ready to, to work on their trauma. What are some, let me rephrase the question. What would be some indicators for you that maybe they're not ready or how would you handle those type of clients? You know, I, I would probably view that as a protector part of them 
right? That's trying to like speed it up so that they can just be done with it. And um, I, I would want to explore if that's like a way of survival of like, just move, like, let's get it over with. Let's get it over with. I hear that a lot. Right. And so I, I would want to see if, you know, how old that feels, right. What's the need for speed. Um, and I just do a lot of psychoeducation about, you know, the concept of slower is faster. And I think um, the psychoeducation around, you know, the stages of treatment could be helpful for someone too. just education on like, you know, stage one is really about the therapeutic relationship, really making sure that, you know, there's, there's a good foundation there and um, giving them tools to be able to cope with flashbacks or body memories or panic, whatever the quote unquote symptoms are so that when they do want to do the trauma processing in whatever fashion they want to do it, they have tools and we're not further dysregulating, further re-traumatizing our clients. And so I, I tend to go about it that way. You know, slower is faster. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that, that uh, you said, let's get it over with. Uh, that is something that, um, you know, very, for a lot of folks, it, it, you're right. And, you know, it, it, this, that's, that's what they want. They just want to get it over with, you know, okay, just let's do this therapy thing. And let's just, and being able to use that as an entryway, right? So what's, what's, what's going on? Let's check in with what, what part is, is coming up for you and it, as um, with let's get it over with, or let's yeah. just hurry up and get this done with. And, yeah. you know, it, it's a great entryway for a lot of, a lot of um, folks. Thank you for and, that. Yeah. And if I may, Rosa, you know, I feel like a lot of um, my, my survivor clients that that's also how they treat a lot of um, aspects of their life too of you know let's get it over with because that's how they learn to survive literally in abusive situations right and so I do not want to replicate that with them in any way and I think when people hear that they're like oh <laughs> right like I didn't think about it that way it's yeah it's a total shift of perception because yeah you it, it is um and, and you know that in and of itself that awareness can bring in a, a lot of healing for them you know to realize what the, because I'm sure you know for a lot of these folks they're doing it in therapy with us let's get over with but they do that probably everywhere else right with their significant other you know um at work or with their you know depending on their line of work it could just be coming up in every totally kids you know so like like you said just having that perspective like you know what what is this really doing for me how is this what how is this a, a window into what's happening what ha what's happening and re-traumatizing right especially if we're, if we're recreating that or we want to recreate that in the therapy um in the in the therapy realm so it's so yeah that is such an important point to, to touch on and you know um Shifting gears a bit, I'm curious, you know, as a, as a, I know you, you've been doing this for many years, but is there anything uh, that you perhaps when you started off as a, as a therapist, as a young, you know, younger therapist, is there anything that you wish you would have known then that you know now? Anything in regards to just healing, anything that you wish you would have, you have known at that time when you were starting off? Yeah, I think... Being clear about boundaries <laughs> was uh, something I had to really work through um, because a lot of trauma clients uh, will show you their, their boundaries. Some of them will never ask you for anything because that's how they learn to survive. And then some of them will appear quote unquote needy. And I'm putting it in quotes because um, I don't like that word, but it's a younger part who was not seen and heard and it shows up as quote unquote needy. But I think as a therapist, we also have to show um, good boundaries, right? Because that's what was not shown for them. And so that was a learning process, right? Boundaries. Um, I wish I learned parts work from the get-go. I feel like that modality has really shifted how I, I do any therapy. Um, so I wish I knew that from the get-go. And then honestly, I, I'm a big believer of like therapists need to be in their own therapy too, right? Um, 
but finding the right therapist that is a good match for you is a process and not settling. Um, and so the therapist that I saw back then was really helpful at the time, but I think knowing what I know now, I would, um, I have an IFS therapist, right? Like I have an IFS therapist, a male. So I'm, I'm able to work through the stuff that I mentioned with my dad through this beautiful lens. Um, and before I was doing, you know, more cognitive behavioral therapy in grad school, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I think from a trauma perspective, you know, it has to incorporate more than just the cognition. It has to incorporate the other. So I think I would have loved to have known that then. Um, so I'm very grateful. I know that now. Um, I think that's, am I forgetting something? What has helped you? I'm curious if maybe I'm missing no, something. No, I think, I, you know, I could definitely think back to having more, for me, at least having a more... Uh, nuanced understanding of the integration of the mind, body, and yeah. spirit, because I, you know, and, and that's something that they, you know, I, I in grad school they focus so much on. Like you said, it was CBT. I went to school. Uh, I graduated from grad school in 2007. So at that time, I think it was all CBT, maybe solution. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I. So it was all just you know working with the mind. So. So yeah, like you, I, I wish I, I would have had this um, this awareness of how it really works with and with the body and spirit and soul and you know all these other components that that make up who we are and that that contribute to our healing, right? Definitely. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm curious, you know, as a um, as a as a trauma therapist, just in your own individual practice how do you incorporate the spiritual component? Because, you know, I believe that's a huge, you know, huge area huge. of healing. And I know it has helped me with a lot of my personal healing. Um, how, how do you bring in that, that for, for your clients? Yeah. You know, I think doing my own IFS work has really helped me tap into that on a much deeper level for my clients. Um, I want to be mindful of, of the audience here, but I think incorporating what's important to the client in terms of their own spirituality. And sometimes that doesn't fit in a neat box in like Western medicine. Um, and so I am a big supporter of whatever the client needs to do that doesn't hurt them um, in order to heal. And so sometimes that means, um, helping them work with their guides, right? Internal guides that they, that they may have. Um, I have a lot of clients who do medicinal work, you know, journey work. Um, and I'm, I'm a big supporter of that if that, that's the route that they wanna take. Um, so whatever's gonna help them tap into that. I, I have a lot of clients, unfortunately, who have spiritual abuse as part of their abuse, uh, particularly my DID clients. And so, um, really addressing how that's impacted them in their dissociation is a big part of uh, my work with, with a lot of my clients. So I will incorporate whatever is, is meaningful to them and has helped them heal. You know, that's wonderful. And you mentioned, you know, working with their, their spirit guides. And I know that this is also something that a lot of, um, you know, clients um, believe in also, uh, you know, like, I, of course, there's different spiritual backgrounds, but have you noticed in when you're doing your IFS work or, um, or just, your, you know, you, when you're tapping or helping, you know, the patients tap into these other parts and younger parts, have you noticed if, if this comes up a lot, you know, that the, the awareness of perhaps higher consciousness, spirit guides, um, you know, have you know anything in that regard definitely mm -hmm. definitely and then and also i think when when clients tap into that world um especially with the deep layers of trauma to, to know that they were not alone and that they had guides along the way is so incredibly healing um and so yeah we definitely incorporate a lot of that in, in the sessions and how they can tap into that. Um, 
a lot of my clients also use meditation as a way to tap into that world. Um, so yeah, definitely bringing it into the room when it's appropriate and when um, they want to bring it up. Yeah. I do ask, of course, part of the intake process is asking about their, their religion, but also their spirituality practices. Um, but I think there's a really special thing that happens when a trauma survivor, especially if it was trauma, really infant, like pre-verbal trauma, and they find that there's a guide there who's been on their side. It's, it's just really remarkable to witness. So beautiful, and and it can it, it changes everything. I, I believe to know that they actually weren't alone in in that horrible experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and you know for for um, for those that would like to get more familiar with your work, that would like to connect with you, um, how can they find you? Sure. So uh, I have a website. It's PasadenaTraumaTherapy.com. And then I also have a Instagram, which is pastina underscore trauma underscore therapy. And I'm always open to if anyone has questions or if they're needing help in finding resources for themselves, um, I want to make sure that they get good support. Well, thank you so much, Christina. This was great. I think you provided so much information and we could have gone so many different directions and talked about this for hours because everything that you mentioned you know from the parts work to DID to being dysregulated all of that is like this whole other field almost totally. in it of itself so it's a lot and and thank you so much for for sharing your your knowledge and your wisdom with us today thank you for having me this was a really nice conversation you're very good at this Oh, <laughs> thank you. Okay, Christina, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Thank you, you too. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.